Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural recording of Literary Disco. Uh, my name is Ryder Strong, and joining me from the desert of California is Todd Goldberg. Hello, Todd. Hello. I'm, though, not actually outside in the desert. I'm in a air-conditioned home. A nice air-conditioned home. With my desert. manservants. <laughs> with my manservants who giggle in the background, apparently. And, and we're also joined in the far reaches of, is it New England, technically, where Julia lives? Julia Pistel, who is somewhere in the New England region. Hi, Julia. I live in Connecticut, Dad. <laughs> Which is definitely New England. Is that above or below Maine? I've never been we sure. We went to school in Vermont, for Christ's sake. You think you could have learned a little bit about this. That's true. And, and maybe that's an important thing for us to talk about real briefly, is how we all know each other and why we are doing this show all of a sudden. We all went to graduate school together um, at Harvard. No, no. Not, not quite. No, we not didn't quite. go to Harvard. We went to, uh, we went to Bennington College in lovely uh, southern Vermont, um, which they, I think they call it the Paris of southern Vermont. And while we were there, the three of us uh, found that we had a mutual admiration for Scrabble and for talking about books and literature. And we thought that maybe doing a show about our love of books and literature would be a good way for us to improve our narcissism and also entertain you guys uh, as well. Is that right? Well, also, I think a little bit more than that, too. It was in response to the fact that it seems like there's sort of this literary culture out there um, that is, you know, this very sort of highbrow, New York-focused literary culture that is very insulated, and it sort of forms its own echo chamber. And, um, you know, we had always, we felt like our book conversation sort of stepped outside of that, and, you know, there was a willingness to embrace genre fiction and... Um, and a willingness to embrace things that, that didn't sort of fit that that New York, uh, you know, very narrow sort of focus. And um, and we realized that there doesn't actually exist um, a book discussion group, a podcast or a radio show that we feel really taps into that sort of between, between the highbrow and the lowbrow, I guess. Um, <laughs> Which is exactly where the three of us fit is between exactly. the highbrow and lowbrow well i think on the other side of the spectrum there is this sort of book club culture that sprung up and you know and that while that's great that people read a lot and stuff there's also a sort of touchy-feely like self-helpy mm-hmm. uh emphasis in that sort of book club you know oprah book culture i mean oprah's you know she picks great books a lot of times so I, well I don't let's really be mean honest to... most of the time she doesn't most of the time she doesn't <laughs> All right, so why don't we uh, take a moment to each sort of introduce ourselves, and then, um, and then also, since this is our first first attempt at uh, an episode, we thought we'd do sort of a literary origin story, where we each talk about where we came from and how we got into um, how we got into literature and, and discovered books and fell in love and made it such a huge part of our lives. So, who wants to go first? Why don't you go first, Ryder? Why don't you tell us? Um... Tell us who you are. Tell us uh, what your dreams are, um, what you're looking for in a mate. Uh, and, yeah. And tell, tell like us. Like long walks on the beach. I think uh, we all do. Tell, I, tell us how you, how you started to get interested in, uh, in words. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I am an actor and a filmmaker. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, I've, you know, writ, I write fiction and uh, poetry. But actually, the main focus for the last couple of years has been screenwriting. Um, got my BA in English at uh, Columbia, and then I went to uh, Bennington, like we said, for my MFA in fiction. 
Do, um, do you remember the first book? Uh, do you remember the first you know, book that you read? I don't think that that's actually a great. I mean, yes, I do want to talk about the first book I read, which was uh, the first story I remember reading that sort of blew my mind was The Telltale Heart at Allan Poe. And, you know, I think the reason why that one stuck with me was because, of, of course, like most kids, I horror, you know, really, you know, the first scary story you read that gets under your skin, I think, resonates, which is why I think a lot of people look at Stephen King as, like, the, the thing that they read when they were younger. Uh, and that was a big one for me, too. But but Edgar Allan Poe, uh, the, the Telltale Heart, because it was so, it was sort of an advanced book for me, you know? I, it was, like, the book that I was told was a couple grades ahead that I shouldn't try reading yet. And I sort of stepping out and doing something that I wasn't supposed to be reading, that was all part of the thrill and the enjoyment. Um, but really, my, my, the, the literary origin story that I wanted to tell was about how I sort of rediscovered literature. Um, long after I was already in college and I had already decided to be an English major, um, I had a, one of those sort of amazing teacher experiences where I had a professor. His name was Carl Krober. And um, he, I took a Native American uh, traditional stories uh, class with him. He was this 80-year-old guy who had been teaching at Columbia forever. I mean, I think he, you know, was born there and he sort of, he sort of wandered around the classroom. I mean, you, when you first met him, when you first saw this guy, you were like, Oh, this guy's going to fall over at any minute. He's so old. And it, uh, like to everybody's surprise, he knew everybody in the class's name. I mean, this is like 30 to 50 kids. He would know everybody's name within the first week. And then he would just wander around the classroom and sort of do this Socratic method of like walking up to people and be like, writer, what do you think of this story? And, and if you – whatever you said, no matter how smart you were, no matter how thought you thought you were getting the right answer to, to describe you know, whatever question he was asking, he would completely dismantle you with more questions and just keep investigating. And I think what had happened is like a lot of people you – know, and I, I think this is a fault of the American education system – is that we get into this idea of literature where it's like you – there's a code. There's a, there's a theme. There's a message and we read books or we read poems to sort of break that code and get to the right story that's that's underneath it and we just have to break through the way the writer put it out there and then we you know and it's all that close reading like just delve into it and it was the first time in a long time at the age of you know I, I was 22 I guess um that that sort of got erased and I had a teacher who was like well no what is this story actually um actually saying on its own terms and not what you bring to it not you know it's not a you know, postmodernist theory or a feminist critique that's going to crack open that book. It's it's more about just an organic understanding. Um, and you know, f- for Krober, a lot of that was going back to your childhood appro- approach to literature. Right. It was all about rediscovering the strangeness of literature that mm-hmm. sort of doesn't fit into something that happens or a character that you've understood. Or and I think that that's why when you read books as a kid, it's like if a character does something or something happens in a book as a kid, you don't go like, oh yeah, it's just like that other book I read or that other story I've heard or this person I know in my life. It's like you have to sort of reinvent the wheel every time you read something and say, look, what is this book saying on its own terms? And um, you know, it was a professor that sort of forced me to do that like when we were kids and i know Ryder, that, that you read these books too i don't know if you did julia but like those choose your own adventure books that mm-hmm. we read when you were you know 10 or 11 or 12 i certainly did well then you're cooler than i thought you were <laughs> you know what was cool is that you, when you were given that choice at the bottom at 10 or 11 you couldn't you didn't really have the insight as to, to figure out what was likely going to happen if you chose that adventure mm-hmm. right now i think if you read it you'd be like well obviously if i you know go and stab the dwarf in the neck you know probably not great things are going to happen 
afterwards. Right. And I think we lose that that sense of whimsy that we got right. as readers after, particularly when we start writing more often, because we begin to see the tricks of the trade that the people mm-hmm. are doing. So that it, we stop enjoying books, like you were saying, writer, on a visceral level. Exactly. And sometimes we start to just look at them as... Right. You know, a piece of art that someone has made, and we're going to deconstruct it and see, you know, the building blocks to get to this character right. point or that character point or whatever. That's why I think, like, you know, studying Native American stories really was part of, you know, it wasn't just him as a teacher, Krober, but it was also studying Native American stories because they're so far outside of my realm of, you know, knowledge base and understanding. And there's no sort of cultural, I mean, there's, the, you know, there's always the, um, uh, you know, the hero with a thousand faces sort of approach, like, oh, the archetypal story. But, like, Krober wouldn't allow us to do that. It was sort of like throw all that, just approach the story for what it's saying about, you know, the coyote in the, you know, he whatever. Did at any point make you say carpe diem or did you stand up on your desk? <laughs> I had to stand on my desk. <laughs> we had to write palms. <laughs> yeah, no. Was, I mean, I was think, Ethan you know, Hawk there in any yeah, form he was or in the fashion? class. It was weird. It was weird. And there's all these cameras. Um, no. <laughs> but yeah. He actually wrote my uh, letter of recommendation to get into Bennington, and I reconnected with him. And Ethan Hawk? <laughs> yes. Ethan. Uh, and, you know, I used to, whenever I was in New York, he would let me sit in my class, and we'd go and have these, like, epic six-hour lunches. We'd talk about movies. And the guy was just, he, it, you know, like, it wasn't just his approach to literature. It was his approach to life was that mm-hmm. open-minded and that sort of fresh. Uh, you know, in his 80s, he could... He could. He just loved being around young people and and sort of rediscovering things that he thought he knew everything about. He would just throw it out if if you came up with something better. Um, and he died a couple years ago at the age of eighty two, I think. Um, oh, way to bring us down, writer! I'm making yeah. jokes about the guy. Well, oh, captain, I'm, my I'm, captain! <laughs> and then you gotta tell us he's dead. Yeah, he was. He was a great, great man. So, but anyway, yeah. So that's my my literary origin story was uh, sort of late in that. That way. Oh, that's a very yeah. sweet story, though. I feel like I've been taking on an emotional journey. What about you, Julia? What uh, What was your origin? Tell me, please tell me, you were bitten by an irradiated spider. Um, no, I was not. <laughs> um, I have. I've really, really always loved to read. I mean, I've come to writing through reading. I, um, I, I very clearly remember what my first book was. It was um, Pat the Cat. And, you know, about that. <laughs> Is that and, a Dr. Um, Seuss book? or No, it's like a random... I, you know, a lot of my childhood memory books are not normal children's books, other than, like, Make Way, make way for Ducklings. But, um, yeah, I think my parents would just take out tons of books at a time from the library or just buy whatever, and we would just read voraciously. And, yeah, I mean... My whole life, it's probably the most consistent thing in my life is how much I read. Um, and then I, I really remember starting to love writing when I was like maybe 10 or 11. And uh, I mean, I took every English and creative writing class and playwriting stuff when I was in high school and a teenager. And then, yeah, I was an English major in college, like super normal person who loves to read. <laughs> but, um, one thing that I'm excited about for this podcast is that I've always read really widely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm reading like three or four books now, and some of them are absolute garbage, and some of them are amazing. <laughs> and Most of them were written by Todd, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> it, I mean, I read fast, and I read a lot, so I like the idea that a person can read, you know, 
I'm reading the third Game of Thrones book, and I'm also reading this randomly published book of Ebenezer Lepage, which is, like, this beautiful book that was given to me. And I like that a person can contain all of these reading experiences and doesn't have to be just one kind of reader. Right. Hey, oh, also, I work at Mark Twain's house in Connecticut. That's a that's a big readery thing. And, and you're an essayist as well, right? You write nonfiction. That's right. Yeah, I got my MFA in Beddington in nonfiction, and I written a lot of personal essays and things for the radio and stuff like that and you're also a former navy seal i'm not (laughs) what if that were true what if that were true and you were just you know ruining she's had amnesia she just doesn't know it (laughs) we we turn on the sleeper cell that is julia pastel and she goes and she kills a thousand men well my uh my origin story is pretty simple um i uh I come from a family of writers, um, though, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't really know they were writers. They were just my, my fucked up parents and my siblings. <laughs> but one of my earliest memories, and, and anytime I hear actually someone typing, it, it brings me back to that, is falling asleep to the sound of my mom typing. Mm. But the other, the other side of it is that I was, I was profoundly dyslexic. I didn't, I didn't know how to read really until I was... Um, I don't know, maybe nine or 10. And I was told, I remember this as clear as day. Um, I, I must've been six or seven and I'd gone to an optometrist's office with my mom cause I was having all these problems. I couldn't see straight and, um, things I was writing my name dot. So for many years I was a, a Southern woman named dot with the vapors. Um, but they took me to an optometrist and I was sitting there in the dark and my eyes were dilated and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, figures on the wall and behind me, my mom was talking to the optometrist and he said to my mother, he's never going to read or write above a fourth grade level. Oh my and, God. Devastating. And I, I remember hearing that and, and just thinking I'm retarded. You know, I'm, I am retarded. And my mother, to her credit, um, and I don't give her a lot of credit for a lot of things, uh, but to her credit, she said, don't you ever say that to my son. He's going to read and he's going to write. That's what we do. The first book that I ever, that really had a profound effect on me is I I had gone to a library in Walnut Creek where I grew up and I was, I was maybe 11 at this point, maybe 10. And I tried to check out of mice and men and the librarian wouldn't let me check it out. She said it was above my reading level. So I stole it. And, uh, which also began my life of crime. Um, you have never paid for a book since. I've never paid for, and I, I still have this copy of, of Mice and Men. But I brought the book. I do. I brought the book home, and I said to my mom, "They wouldn't let me check out all these books. They said it was a you know wasn't my grade level, and I couldn't read it." And my mom put me back in the car and drove me back over there, and she said to the librarian, "Do you see this kid? This is my son." Any book in this library that he wants to check out, he can. I don't care if there's the most sex or violence or whatever. If he wants to read it, he can read it. That's awesome. And and, and so I began just checking out books, you know, constantly. Mm. I just read adult erotica. <laughs> I thought a lot of erotica, a lot of joy of sex. Uh, but of mice and men, it was the first book that had a profound emotional effect on me. I remember crying when um, when uh, Lenny gets shot, when George shoots Lenny, and. Um, I mean, that sort of goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago about that sense of wonder. Now, if I read the book, I'd probably know that he was going to die. You know, you can only say, I want to play with the rabbits, you know, so many times before someone's going to bust a cap in your ass. Right. <laughs> you know, but at the time, I was completely surprised and it really 
profoundly affected me. And I think that experience at age 10 or 11 is what propelled me to want to write professionally. And so, you know, I went to college. I, I got a, a BA in English from Cal State Northridge, which is the equivalent of getting a, a BA in scooping ice cream at Baskin Robbins. Um, <laughs> But then I immediately started writing stories after I graduated. I worked in advertising for a little while, little while, and then I started writing short fiction, derivative short fiction, I should note. And um, and that sort of set me on a path where since um, you know since 1998, I guess it was, I've been a professional writer. You know, I've uh, I've published 11 books since the year 2000. Um, Gosh, you know, maybe 75 short stories. I, I, I've just written a lot of stuff. I also write a lot of book criticism. Um, a, a, a book critic at the LA Times and uh, a newspaper in Las Vegas called Las Vegas City Life. And I, uh, I run a graduate school. I run the low residency MFA program at, at UC Riverside. So I've been, I've been sort of invested in books and literature as my, as my entire life now. It's, uh, it's all I do, which makes me wonder why I'm doing a podcast about it as well when I could just be at home, you know, quietly reading the Bible to myself or something. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. It's funny because, you know, a lot of the impetus that we haven't really touched on for this podcast is also the fact that it's, it's hard to find good books to read, uh, which mm-hmm. I guess you probably don't have that problem because you get sent books all the time for reviews. So hopefully we can sort of help serve, a, you know, serve that for other people but also get suggestions from our um our loyal listeners yeah absolutely i think part of what we also um what we face sometimes as what as literate readers is we're told there's certain books we should be reading you know be it you know say jonathan franzen's freedom or something well everyone's reading it he's on the cover of time magazine it's it's clearly the most important book that's ever been written and then you read it and you think well it's a good book but it's not it hasn't fundamentally altered the course of human history the way that say um you know a, a Tom and Jane and Spot book really has. I mean, those right. books Huge. fundamentally Huge. alter human <laughs> human history. But I think if there's one thing we can do, you know, we we can we can talk about these important books, and we can also talk about books that um, that people may have missed. And I think that's one thing we can add to things is that sometimes the, the books you're told to read just aren't all that entertaining. And I know, you know, right. when when people come home from work and they sit in their overstuffed chair because there are no understuffed chairs anymore and they want to escape their crappy lives well maybe we can find something for you um to help you escape your crappy life by finding fiction about people in far worse situations than you (laughs) i've been saved by literature so many times like i look back when i was a kid like 13 14 15 years old and it was a particularly awful time in my home life like my mom was sick and was supposed to die but but she didn't but she was crazy and you know i would go into my room and i'd close the door and i'd have douglas adams books you know hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and all of the sequels and i would read those things and i would be transported away from the awfulness of my life and now i picked up so long and thanks for all the fish after douglas adams died and, and this was you know this was almost 10 years ago and um the I tried to read it again, and what happened is as I started to read that book again i wasn 't i wasn 't enjoying it for the fact that I was enjoying the prose I was enjoying it for what it had given me if that right. makes sense as a right. kid that as I read those pages, I remembered where I was emotionally at that time and why it was so important to laugh and to dream about something else and I think that 's what the best writing does is mm-hmm. it it continues mm-hmm. to give readers 
something. And then sometimes what the best literature does is it just, it, you know, it just makes you laugh or cry or scream or, you know, sleep in another room. I, I remember reading Pet Cemetery when I was like 15 and I had to sleep with that book in a different room in the house because I was pretty sure that that book was going to come in and slice my Achilles tendons in the night. I remember throwing a book. I don't. Uh, Ryder, did you ever read anything by William Slater? Does that name no. ring a bell? Like really cheap YA um, sci-fi, and I was so terrified by this book that I threw it across the room in fear. <laughs> did you ever finish it? Yes, I, I remember so distinctly. I mean, I remember exactly what room I was sitting in. I remember staring at the book, and I like looked at it and had to take my mind to that place like, this is a book. And I went over and I picked it up and I finished it. And I'm... Dying to read. I'm sure the book is terrible, <laughs> but it. Got- we have to find it. <laughs> <laughs> we must find it. Yeah. This, it'll be our first video podcast of just Julia reading the book to uh, see to when fear. It the room. It, yeah, it was called Interstellar Pig. Oh God! Like you got scared of- by a pig? Thank God you didn't read Pet Cemetery. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll get into it. Interstellar you guys, you Pig. Know. You don't know what you're talking about. It was about- Interstellar Pig. Sounds like a barbecue restaurant in Texas. <laughs> All right. Well, if anybody has heard of this book, please write it in. Let us know because we want to hear that. I'm sure it was awful. I was probably eight. Well, I think the fundamental the, the the fundamental point that we're all getting to is that we take we take books probably way too seriously <laughs> at at some points, and we continue to take them seriously, which is why we are uh, are doing this, what we're doing yeah, right now. Let's oh. do this. We're gonna hit it and quit it, as the kids say. Do they say that? Do they? No, no, no. Well, we're gonna. It's gonna be on like Dig Dug is what it's gonna be. I don't know what that is. Did they say that? I don't know what that is mm. either. Oh shit! Well.